Good evening! Hope everybody is doing well at home. We'll give people a couple minutes or a minute or so to join our live stream for our Wednesday evening Bible study. So we'll get those announcements and different things out of the way. Um, so thank you for joining us this evening. Those of you who are joining us on the podcast for this later, uh, thank you for downloading and taking time to listen to that. Um, as you can see, dressed down a little bit today. It's not the uh, robes or anything like that. I got this pretty sweet shirt that says uh, "All good in the All good in the hood." Um, made a comment one time in a sermon that I didn't know who Mister Rogers was, and then the uh, Sunday or two later, the Russo showed up with this shirt, and now I know who Mister Rogers is. So we're going to be starting a series over these next couple of weeks on heaven, hell, and the afterlife. It's one of those that um, I could probably go on with for a whole year. Just get me going on, on that stuff like that. But it's also something that over time, um, the thoughts and the, my thoughts and my theology on it has, I wouldn't say my thoughts have evolved. I would say they've more come in line with the teaching of what Christ had said and more of a semi or more of an orthodox view instead of a Western view of heaven, hell, and the afterlife. I'm going to start trying to interact a little bit more with the comments over here, see how that goes. Um, but for those of you who are not used to our Wednesday evening um, setup, we usually are downstairs in our fellowship hall. We've got some tables. Um, Dan, Dan Marcellis does a lot of the teaching on Wednesday nights, and I join in every now and then. But um, if you want to check our Facebook page, Dan has a little, Dan Marcellis has a little comment there for everybody to stay safe, stay home. Get healthy and let's get rid of this and get back together. I think you also made a comment about not enjoying the snow. How can you guys think we had snow there? Hey, Diane. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? But we're going to start today. We're going to read from a very familiar passage. And the passage comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. So this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is after the Beatitudes. It's after um, that. So here I'm going to read. What Jesus um, said in part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. And Christ said this, You have heard it said to those of you, oh, to, sorry, you have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come and um, come to terms quickly while you are with your accuser while you are going um, to him with to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to everyone who has looked at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose, and lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if, you, and if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than, um, than that your whole body 
go into hell. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 31. And like I said, this, this has been something that's been weighing on my mind. Um, just writing about it a lot, reading about it, looking it up. Um, heaven, hell, and the afterlife. What, what does that hold? What do we already bring all our preconceived notions and ideas into it? So for those of you who are joining for a Bible study for the first time, it's not quite the same as a sermon. We kind of dive right into the, the scriptures and we tear, kind of not tear them apart the wrong word. We kind of dissect them and look at them a little bit more deeply than we do on a Sunday morning. Uh, we look a little bit of the Aramaic today and the Greek, but that's okay. You'll be able to carry, you'll, I'm more than sure that you guys can track with us and it's going to be a great time. But as modern day Christians, we kind of put a lot of emphasis, specifically thinking of, oh, we've just been um, celebrating Easter. We think of that celebration of Easter and we're like, yay, Jesus raised from the dead so that we can go to heaven. And what pictures of heaven are painted into our minds? Um, you kind of look at Tom and Jerry with them sitting on clouds playing <clears throat> playing harps. And, um, and then you have the devils and the demons where they go down into hell and it's this fiery pit where the devil's down there and torturing and prodding people. And it's interesting to find out where we get some of those thought process from. Amazing how we take some of the scriptures out of the book of Revelation where it talks about the lake of fire, talks about... Um, and how we kind of superimpose that back into um, the scripture like Matthew chapter 5. Uh, so we're going to be looking at over oh, the next four weeks, and it's going to be or four or five weeks. It's one of those things that you'll probably get to trek with us each week. Um, I'm going to leave, you might leave with more answers today, than or more questions than answers, and that's perfectly fine. But today we're going to be looking at this passage because it uses that word that we don't like to hear a lot three times. It uses that word help. Yes, you can use the word hell, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but there's kind of this whole uh, formula that we have been trying to sell as a church for a long period of time. And there's some variations to the formula, but it basically goes like this. If you trust God, and you accept Jesus, and you confess, and you repent, and everything will start going well for you, and you will get to go to heaven someday. Trust God, accept Jesus, He died for your sins in your place. So believe him, say the Lord's the sinner's prayer, and then, you know, one day when you die, you will get to be in heaven. And we already have our ideas of what heaven is. But if you don't do those things, we will argue that the Bible might be quite clear. Some of us say, well, the Bible says that if you sin and you refuse and you repent and you harden your heart and you reject Jesus, and then when you die, it's all over. No, some of us would say it's not over, that you get to spend eternity. That's a, that's a long time eternity being tormented by the devil or by the lakes of fire and that God just lets it happen and you know I grew up thinking and, and learning these things and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit for a while but then I was like oh but you know what I'm one of the lucky ones I did the right formula when I was younger so now I have no fear of these fiery pits of hell I'm gonna be perfectly fine it's only those who aren't like me that are going to endure those fiery pits. Um, but then we take a look at the teachings of Jesus and we find out how inclusive they are. And it, as I started to dive more into the life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, um, they, it started to not contradict, but there was some tension that I wasn't really thrilled with being there. So, so because we, we encounter this loving God, kind God, full of grace and mercy, but his grace and mercy and forgiveness is all hooked on for some reason 
on this idea that we must ask. Like he's dangling it out there like this carrot. Like if you do the right thing, then you get to have all my grace and mercy and forgiveness. But if you don't do this exactly the right way, that grace, mercy, and forgiveness will be held back from you. And this is not me saying that we shouldn't li live lives of repentance. We're going to talk about that uh, probably next um, Wednesday. But our lives should be lives that are full of repentance, full of turning away from the from the ways of we'll call it hell just for just for the reason of our discussion today turn away from the ways of the devil and the world and walking more into like the, the ideas and teachings of Jesus and the kingdom we should be doing those things so as modern christians we place so much emphasis for some reason on future and where we're going to where um we're going to go when we die i remember being like a little kid and you have those revival meetings where everybody comes up and they say their prayers and, and the pastor gets them and says, so many people were saved today and isn't it great that they've been in there now in God's family and will not go to hell. And I'm just, the, the wording like that, it seems like everything is so future. Now that they're going to go to heaven and when they die, that's a future thing. Um, I personally think that we do this really out of a, out of a comfort. Um, for if our faith is only about the future destination, we can do whatever the heck we want to do now, right? I mean, in, in, all, in all reality, I mean, the Apostle Paul says that we shouldn't continue sinning that grace may abound. But if we said the right formulated prayer, then what, what, what fear do we really have? So I'm going to argue over the next couple of weeks that the present is more important than that future. The, almost the teachings of Christ throughout his ministry is talking more and more emphasis on the present than on the future. So what if we've missed and we're missing these glimpses of the perfection, these glimpses of the kingdom of God, because we're so worried about one day getting not only ourselves into the future heaven, but everybody else into the future heaven that we miss what God is doing in the present. So in the text we read three times that Jesus uses the boogie word hell in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Whoever says you fool will be liable of hell, the, the hell of fire, Matthew 5.22. 5.29 says, it is, if it is better that you lose one member than your whole body be thrown into hell. Saying, hey, if you've committed adultery, if you've lusted after a, a, a man or a woman, it's better for you to pluck that eyeball, throw it out, than your whole body go to hell. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell, Matthew 5, 30. So we have this contemporary idea that I do not believe is fully rooted in the scriptures, that hell is this place where people go when they die if they haven't said the right formulated prayer or if they haven't fallen under the grace and mercy and, and forgiveness of God, that they go there and they burn for eternity. Now eternity is a long time. To sit there and think that a God who is embodied by the, the God that who is who we are shown through Christ, that that is the character of God, that 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 God would allow something like that to happen. And that we if you ever come to any of our beers and Bibles, we've had these debates about what happens in the afterlife and their fun. We've got probably three or four different people around that table each time to have slightly different um, opinions about what happens. But we're going to explore all those in week three, the, like the different ideas that, that people have about where what happens in the afterlife for those who do not maybe fall under the idea of following in the ways of the kingdom. 
So what is Jesus talking about? If I call someone a fool, I burn for eternity. Jesus was known for hyperbole, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Don't think what Jesus is saying is that one time that you call somebody a fool, oh gosh, you're going to burn in hell forever. So we're going to look at the original text for a moment. And this is where it deviates a little bit from what we normally do on a Sunday morning. We're going to be jumping around a little bit instead of looking at one specific text. But if you will check with me for a while, that would be terrific. So in the original text, Jesus uses this Aramaic word Gehenna. Everybody say it with me, Gehenna. All right, I didn't hear any of you, but that, that's perfectly fine. So Matthew, the book of Matthew was originally written in Aramaic. And then when, it, when they translated Matthew into Greek, the Aramaic word Gehonom was transliterated into Gehenna. So what transliteration means is to transcribe a word into a corresponding letters of another alphabet. So what they took is they took the Aramaic word Gihom, G-I hyphen, yeah, another word, G-I hyphen, H-I-N-N-O-M, and they transliterated it. They took letters that corresponded and they came up with the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna um, in Greek or in its Aramaic form is actually a literal place. Um, it comes from the Hebrew, which, which means the Valley of the Sons of Hinnon. It's a literal place. So when Jesus is making these statements, when Jesus says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the valley of the sons of Hinnon's fire. Now keep that in mind for a minute. When Jesus says this, our English translation uses the word hell, and then we drag a bunch of Greek mythology and Hades talk and Western thought into it. But Jesus being um, living um, during his time and being having the, the, the historical background of the Old Testament, he uses this phrase, whoever says you fool will be liable to the valley of the sons of Hinnon's fire, which means something completely different than the way that we have been, in, than, than um, the word hell that we bring into it quite a bit. So for us to understand what the valley of the sun of Hinnon is, what better place to go than the, multi the couple of times or three or four times it's used in the Old Testament. So take a minute, take a breath. We're going to go into the Old Testament for a moment. So here it goes. So what and where is the valley of the sun of Hinnon? For us to understand what Jesus is trying to get at here, we don't want to bring in all of our Western mindset ideas of hell. We want to take that word Gehenna, and then we want to look at this, this Aramaic form and um, Jihinon, and then we want to see, what, as that was um, translated from the Hebrew valleys of the son of Hinnom, which is a literal place, which is a valley right outside of Jerusalem. But don't take my word for it. Let's take a look here. For those of you who have scriptures with you, or if you want to look it up on your phone, or if you just want to follow, listen along, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 15. We're going all the way back to the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 15, verse 8. And here they're describing boundaries of uh, locations, which sounds very benign, because it is benign. They're literally just talking about boundaries. So here it says this, Then the boundary goes up by the valley of the son of Hinnom, at the southern shoulder of the Jezebel, which is now Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up 
to the top of the mountain that lies over by the, against the valley of the valley of Hinnom, on the west and on the northern end of the valley of Rifram. This first biblical reference to the valley of the sons of Hinnom is just talking about boundaries. It's talking about Joshua dividing up um, the nation, and this is where the boundaries are going to be. And everybody who's listening to him at that moment knows about the valley of the sons of Hinnom. And in this, in this scripture is a benign place. No real specific meaning, just a general location. So this is the first biblical reference to the valleys of the son of Hinnom. Joshua is simply giving boundaries for the tribe of Judah as they had taken over the promised land. So Jesus' original, original audience knew of this place. It was ingrained into their history. They understood where the valley of the son of Hinnom is. It's almost kind of like saying if we were giving people directions and we said, well, you know, it's down by um, 20, 28th Street and Patterson intersect. That's where you're going to go to find Bed Bath & Beyond. I mean, it's literally that kind of idea. Like these are boundaries. These are directions that Joshua is giving. So people knew what was in that area. So Gehenna was a literal geographic place that people knew about. Now let's read about a couple other ones. We're going to go into Second Chronicles. Chronicles is one of those books that's kind of like this up and down wave of um, biblical history where you have good kings and bad kings and murders and affairs and all these things. I mean, it, it's like days of our lives all over again. It's maybe the original days of our lives. But this Second Chronicles chapter 28, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to read it. We're going to give a little bit of background to it so we kind of understand what's happening in these locations. So it says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began his reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel." And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So here we have the king Ahaz. King Ahaz right here. <coughs> sorry. King Ahaz right here. He becomes king at 20 years old and he doesn't follow Yahweh. Okay. Mistake number one. We find that over and over again in the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. That when it begins telling you about a king, it tells you if he did or did not follow in the ways of David, or follow in the ways of, um, of Yahweh, didn't keep the law. And we find here that Ahaz does not, but he gives a little insight on a couple of things that he did. First of all, he built idols, but then he does this really like disturbing thing that as I read, I made sure I tried just to gloss over it for a second, but I'm going to read it really, really with a little bit more emphasis this time. And it says this, um, he even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Here we find that the valley of the son of Hinnom all of a sudden takes a different kind of, um, there's a different emphasis on this. This is no longer just saying that it's a geographic location outside of Jerusalem that is used as um, boundaries when Judah was when Joshua was dividing up um, the promised land between all of the tribes. 
Here we find that King Ahaz builds idols at the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. Not only does he build idols, he burns his own sons as sacrifices at the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. So this location that Jesus references in Matthew chapter 5, the people know where it is because it's right outside of Jerusalem. It's part of the boundaries and of, of Judah. And they also know because multiple kings, and we just read about Ahaz, builds idols there and then burns his own children. Sacrifices his own children to an idol. Kills them. Kind of does the whole, I'm taking my kids up here, going to put them on an, on, a, on an altar, and I'm going to sacrifice them. That's what happened at the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. First and Second Chronicles, they're historical books about Israel and Judah. This is referencing, referencing Judah for a moment here. It says, this is a wicked king. So wicked, he killed his own, his own children. Um, he didn't do what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. And he offered, the offering that he made was a human sacrifice of his own children. Now, I don't think Jesus would have referenced this if there was only one reference to child sacrifice or idolatry at the valleys of the sons of Hinnom. We read from 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 through 9. It says this, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, the valley of the sons of Hinnom, is right outside of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Again, making a reference, the same as Ahaz, as it did about Ahaz, this, this idea of abominations, about what the people who lived in the land before them used to do. For he built, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected um, altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord to which um, the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So here we have Manasseh becomes king at such a young age, at age 12, but he brings the idolatry and the child sacrifices back into the valley of the sons of Hinnom. Manasseh led Judah astray to do more evil than the nations who the Lord had destroyed before him, he says. So through these two stories, we find out that Gehenna, which is the valleys of the sons of Etam, was a literal place that was on the southern side of Jerusalem that was historically used for evil kings to burn their children. Not a nice place. Not a nice place indeed. So 2 Kings, I want to read this before we begin to wrap this up. 2 Kings said this. 2 Kings chapter two, uh, 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 10 through 12. And he being Josiah, defiled Topeth, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, that no one might burn their sons or his daughters as an offering to Molech. 
and he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord and by the chamber of Nathan, the chamber which, in which the precincts, and he burned the chariots and the sun, and the sun oh, chariots of the sun with fire. Here we find that Josiah begins to tear down these altars, but he is very specific. It says, he and he, Josiah, defiled Topeth, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, so no one may burn his sons and daughters as an offering to Molech. Josiah, King Josiah decides he is going to uh, utterly destroy this place where child sacrifice happened. Um, like Kristen's kind of alluding here, he says, let's make a flannel board of this. This is not one of those felt flannel boards that we had in um, Sunday school when we were younger, was it? It's, we didn't go through this. And then they went over to the valleys of the son of Hinnom and they sacrificed their children. So be good. No, it's this, um, something that's kind of glossed over. This is a dark place to go. A dark place to go when we talk about human, not only human sacrifice, but child sacrifice. So going back to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> going back to Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said that it was said in the days of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the valley of the sons of Hinnon's fire. So let's stop for a moment and let's take the historical context that we know of what we just read in the books of Chronicles and Joshua and um, Kings. Let's think of this. Jesus is saying, if you call somebody a fool, you are as guilty as the people who did human sacrifices, who sacrificed their children's, their children in the, fi in the fires, of the uh, Valley of the Sons of Hinnon and the Gehenna. Why? When you think of child sacrifice, you think of taking the image of God and destroying it. You're taking that image and you're lighting it on fire and you're burning it and life is extinguished. And it's not really a reach when we think about it in this context that when we call somebody a fool, we are doing the exact similar thing. We're not literally burning somebody and lighting them on fire, but we're taking and looking at somebody who is made in the image of God, who is the bearer of the image of God, and we're tearing them down. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, you are as guilty of destroying the image of God as the people who used to sacrifice their children to Molech. That's what you're liable of. You are liable of that. You are just as guilty. And then it talks about being angry. And then it talks about lust. And all of these things are, are this idea of dehumanizing somebody else. Lust is all about looking at somebody as an object of our pleasure. Wanting them for our pleasure. Dehumanizing them. And when we dehumanize somebody, when we remove their humanity, when we, when we take a look at somebody who bears the image of God and we say, you know what, I'm removing that part of you. It is the same as sacrificing kids to Moloch. Inside of the New, inside of the New Testament, there are 11 times 
that Jesus uses the word Gehenna, Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, 11 times. And he uses them as descriptions as what, what is opposite of the kingdom of heaven. So I'm not here to say that there's no heaven and there's no hell. I'm here to say that I think we have skewed views of what heaven and hell are. That in Christ, we have the glimpse of the kingdom of heaven now. Not only the glimpse, but it is fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ, God becoming flesh. We ah, so, sorry, reading the book of Revelation, where heaven and earth become in one place. Where heaven comes down, and, it, and it, God's space comes down, and it resides in the space of man. Much like Genesis, God and man walking together. When we read, this, read John chapter 1 and we can really focus on this idea that God becomes flesh and dwells here. Heaven comes down and dwells on earth. There's this, there's this realization of that's a similar thing to what it's talking about in the book of Revelation. That God's space comes down to man's space in the person of Christ. And that the divine and the creation are walking together. And there is harmony that is found there at times. And that we have the glimpse of what the ultimate idea of making all things new looks like. But inside of that reality, inside of that reality that the kingdom of God resides in, in, this, in, this, in this earth now in, in the form of those who follow Yahweh, is that the idea that there is still hell. But hell isn't some place where somebody goes later on after they pass. Hell is when we dehumanize somebody and we strip, the, strip them of their humanity. And Jesus says, even when you're angry with them and you call them a fool, you are stripping them of their humanity and you are as guilty as those who sacrificed their children to Molech. That when you objectify another human for your pleasure, that you are as guilty as those kings who built up whole... Um, whole worship systems that revolved around the sacrificing of children. Matthew chapter 5 starts like this. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he said to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil um, against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So, for, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a blessed life. That is what we need to strive for. That is the glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. That is a glimpse of heaven in this reality. The valley of the son of Hinnom was this place where life was not given, but life was taken. Where God was not brought glory, where the, the people who bore the image of God, innocent children, were sacrificed. It is the counter idea of the kingdom of heaven. So heaven and hell are opposites. But this is how they are opposite. One, the kingdom of heaven, is about bringing life 
in the here and now. And Gehenna, which is translated in our scriptures as hell, is about stripping people of life in the here and now. When we continually focus on the future tenses of paradise and being in the presence of God, we miss God in our presence now, but we can also then only we can also then justify the evil that goes on around us. We can justify oppression, we can justify greed, we can justify um, slavery, we can justify all these things. But when we start to see them as hell, when we start to view those things as life-taking actions that happen against other people, and that our role is to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven now, that we need to not partake in those things. We need to not partake in those things. So continuing in those things, continuing in things that lead to the valley of the sons of Hinnom, continuing in things that degrade people, that oppress people, that suck life out of situations, as we continue to do that, the word sin, continuing in sin, I would like to almost um, say that we're, every time we are in the idea of sin, that we are embracing the valley of the actions of the valley of the sons of Hinnom, that we are degrading people who bear the image of God, which in essence is us degrading the image of God. It leads to death. Yes, the wages of sin is what? Death. If we follow in the ways of the valley of the sons of Hinnom, it leads to death. We sometimes think of, the when we think of the uh, wage of sin as death, we think of it as on a very individual level. Well, well, it's me that dies. When I sin, then I get death spiritually, physically, whichever, how far you want to take it. What if we miss the idea that the wage of sin is not only death in our own lives, but death in the lives of others? That as we continue to embrace hell, as we continue to embrace the valley of the sons of Hinnom, that we bring hell into the world today for other people. That as we remove their humanity, that we are partaking in the old traditions of the evil kings of Israel that used to build up altars and sacrifice their own children. When we look at heaven and hell as a place that we are going to go to later, we neglect the hell we neglect the sons of the valley of Hinnon. We place ourselves in and others in. And we also miss the life that God has for us now. So as we conclude today, I wanted to keep these under 30 minutes. and I'm four minutes over, but that's not bad. Trek with me for four weeks, guys. Trek with me for four weeks. Um, this, is just, this is just kind of poking a little hole in a couple of ideas. And we're going to um, rip a Band-Aid off and we're going to let it overflow next week. We're going to be looking at the Jewish views of, the, of Hades and Abraham's bosom and all of the, their idea of the afterlife. Because that is what Jesus is teaching inside of. Inside of, of the culture that Jesus is teaching, people bring their preconceived ideas already into it. We do the same thing. We superimpose our pre preconceived ideas onto these scriptures and it can get us in trouble. We're going to be looking at the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Um, which we could, I would debate and argue if it's a parable, if it's Jesus making a full reference to Lazarus as the only time in a story where Jesus uses a proper name. But I want to leave us with this. 
I want us not to reside in the valley of the sons of Hinnom. Let us reside in the blessed life that God has for us in the present as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But I don't want us to think of blessings as this material things. If we go back to um, go back to Matthew chapter 5 and we take a look at what it is. Happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are pure in heart and blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those of you who are persecuted. When we think of the life of the kingdom of heaven, it's not riches and, and, and all these things. It's living a blessed life that is countercultural to what we are being taught today. Because we find that a lot of the ways that we gain our notoriety, our, our riches and all these things, do in, in, in a way are done at the sacrificing of people's lives. And as we embrace a, a different, not a different, but I would say a more historical and a more orthodox view of this idea of Hades, hell, Gehenna. I want us to not worry about, did we think something wrong before? Because if you get, like I said, if you get myself, Dan, Dakota, and Dean, and we all sit around a table at the Beers and Bible, we'll have four different ideas and there we can live, we can live with them in harmony together. Most of the time we kind of get yeah, it gets out of hand sometimes, but it's fine. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to try and find the 11 times Gehenna is referenced through Christ. Jesus uses the word Gehenna. And then I want you to look at what it is in contrast to. And it's usually in contrast to the kingdom of heaven. Gehenna and heaven are opposites. So thank you for joining me this evening. I um, hope you will join me next um, Wednesday as well as we continue on this um, journey through heaven, hell, and the afterlife. Um, it, for me, this study of preparing it and getting ready for it has really kind of solidified some of my views. Um, and I want to uh, just give you guys the uh, ability and the option to um, not only question, but to, to see different perspectives. Um, the, there is diversity inside of the body of Christ. There's diversity inside of the theology that people hold on to. Um, but one thing that we all have to remember is that in the end, in the end, the only thing that truly matters is the love of Christ that we express to each other. And I am, to try and keep it silly and simple, is for, for those of you who don't join us again, this idea of expressing the love of God to everyone will keep us from... It will keep us from placing people like Gehenna. And that is what we are focused on doing. So thank you for joining me. And we will catch you guys on Sunday at 1030 if you want to join us. And we will be back here for Bible study on what next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Blessings.